we are going to talk about being born again. Before we talk about being born again, I want to tell you a story. Well, no, I want to tell you half a story, and I'll tell you the rest of the story at the end, and you'll understand why I broke it uh, in two then at that point. Um, The story of the new birth is one of the, it's the first discussion about salvation that Jesus has. In John chapter 2, we have the wedding feast of Cana. We have the cleansing of the temple, which sets up the tone of his relationship with the um, leadership uh, in Jerusalem. And then in John chapter 3, we have him speaking about the new birth. The first time he speaks about something, it's pretty important. Everything Jesus said was important. And the words he uses are very important to us. All right, but let me tell you my story before before we start. There, I have a friend. We'll call him Kevin. He works for Irish, the Irish Rail Company, as a train driver. He's been doing it now for thirty years. He's a good driver. He's well trained. He has a clean record as far as safety is concerned. He handles those big one hundred and fifty ton engines, and he loves his job. Says he doesn't like much being around the yards where he's waiting for it to be loaded and cars to be connected up to it, but he loves his job. And when he get, get out on the open uh, track and just let that big engine go, there's a feeling of power and there's a sense, I suppose, that that's why every child uh, looks at a train driver and wants to be a train driver. Well, one day, Kevin was hauling a freight train from Dublin to Cork. It was a clear day. Uh, he was enjoying this job. There was no issues with the engine and he was running on time. Halfway between Dublin and Cork, he he rounded a bend and he saw something, someone, on the track. Well, that's not unusual. That's why a train is equipped with a uh, piercing horn uh, to warn somebody to get off the track. And so he he laid on the horn, uh, he pulled it down, and um, uh, no movement. In fact, he thought whoever it was was actually standing looking at him. As he got closer, uh, he laid on the horn even more, and then he got scared. Because this person wasn't moving, and he was pretty sure they were looking at him. Well, his training kicked into gear. Uh, He slammed on the brakes on that big engine. And as he slammed on the brakes, everything in the car that wasn't nailed down went went forward and um, hit hit the windscreen. But the brakes went on, the... The, the, the steel against steel screeched, the horn screeched, all the noise. And Kevin is saying, oh no, please train, stop. Please stop. And as he gets closer, the blood drains from his face uh, and his body goes into panic mode and there's nothing he can do. He's hoping this train is going to stop. Now we'll come back to our story and you'll see why, we, why I've split it up. John chapter 3, John chapter 3 and verse 1. We're going to read the first 21 verses uh, of this chapter. Uh, This is the the discussion that Jesus has with Nicodemus. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, isn't Jesus marvelous in the way he responds to people? You ask him one question, and he answers the real question. And he does this again and again. 
by the way, uh, John chapter 2, verse 25 says, And he needed not that any man should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. It must have been kind of scary to be around Jesus because he could read your mind. Uh, he could tell what you were thinking. He could tell where you were going with the question before you ever went to it. And that's what he does with this man, Nicodemus. He answers the question that he really needs, uh, that, that Nicodemus really needs answered, uh, not the one that he's actually asking him. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up into heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have eternal life. But for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Let us pray. Father, would you bless now as we look to your word. Lord, we thank you for this scripture, so clear, uh, so true, Lord, so helpful to us. And Lord, would you bless each one of us, Lord. For that one that does not know you as Savior, Lord, would you switch on the lights for them? Let them see truth. Let them understand. Blessed Holy Spirit, we know that it's your office work to take and convince men of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And Lord, we pray that you'd move in this room and you'd move uh, in those people online, Lord, that you would bring people uh, to that place of understanding their need of salvation. But Lord, for all of us, Lord, may we rejoice, Lord, in the, with joy in the fact that salvation is possible because of what you did. Now bless. Uh, speak your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so who is this man Nicodemus that Jesus uh, is speaking uh, about? Well, Nicodemus, it says, is, is a ruler of the Jews. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He is top echelons of society in Jerusalem. Uh, he is a learned man. He is a wealthy man, uh, more than likely. He is a very pious and devout man. And Jesus tells him, you must be born again. Really, what an affront. Here's a man that's given his life to the service of God. A man that 
read scripture, a man that tithes up to a third of his income, a man that prays publicly, a man who is well known for being a very pious, good, godly man. Everybody, everybody knows that he's like that. And Jesus breaks into his question and tells him, you need to be born again. Now, you know, we all know people that we think need to be born again. We have an addictions ministry in our church. And, and you know, as far as the addictions ministry is concerned, everybody reckons these guys need to be born again. They need something. Uh, they need something to change them. And you know, what will happen is they'll come into the addictions ministry. Uh, they'll get saved, get born again. And their families will come in and they'll say, great, that's great for you. But they don't need to be born again. Because their lives are going okay. But here we have Jesus making a lie of that thought. The fact that because you're good, the fact that because your life is going in a straight line, the fact that because you're doing good things, uh, you don't need to be born again. No, he says, to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Let me dispel another notion uh, for you here too. Oftentimes when you hear the word born again, uh, it's kind of the crazy uh, right wing, you know, a little bit mad uh, side of Christianity that people are talking about. Uh, And, um, you you know, people talk about it with scorn, yeah, the born agains. I'm sure you've heard the term bandied about as, a, uh, 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 as an, an insulting term. But the phrase is a phrase that Jesus coined. It comes from the lips of the lovely Lord Jesus himself. He says you must be born again. We shouldn't shy away from it. We need to embrace it. Uh, no matter what people think about it, we should hold on to it. Because listen, he's, he's, he's using it to explain a great truth. Nicodemus was a man who nobody thought needed anything spiritually. He was a good man. Let me say too about Nicodemus that he shows both cowardice and courage. You see the way he comes to Jesus by night? Well, uh, more than likely the reason he came to Jesus by night was because he didn't want anyone to see him. You see, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He had a reputation. He was part of the group that Jesus has just offended when he cleared the temple. You see, everybody in the, uh, in the upper echelons, everybody in the leadership in Jerusalem was making a lot of money out of the temple. There was money coming in from all angles and this, and they were pretty happy with the way things were going. And when Jesus cleansed the temple and told him that they were making his father's house uh, a den of thieves, uh, he, he was upsetting their income. And you see, they, they, they reacted to that pretty quickly. Immediately, Jesus was an upstart. Immediately he was a problem. Now, it's going to rapidly move to the place where he's such a problem that they want rid of him, and they're ultimately going to pass him over to the Romans to crucify because he is just a problem to them. And it started. And you see, if you are part of the group that were the Sanhedrin, and, and you sided with Jesus, well, you were out. Later on, we're going to see that if you, if, if you took sides with Jesus, then you were, if anybody said he was the Messiah, they were, they were put out of the synagogue. And that was, that, that really ended somebody's social life completely because, you, you know, your, your whole life centered around the synagogue. And so Nicodemus is careful of his reputation here. He's watching out that, you know what, people don't see him consorting with Jesus because that could be problematic for him. This is not the last time that we meet Nicodemus in Scripture. 
In fact, uh, in John chapter 7, uh, we meet Nicodemus again. And, and now they're, 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 by John chapter 7, they're talking about getting rid of Jesus, how they're going to get rid of him. And, and, and Nicodemus stands up for Jesus. He says, now hang on a minute. Our, our law doesn't judge a man until we've heard him. You, you can't just judge him and find him guilty. That's, that's courage. There's a change happening in him here. By the time we get to John chapter 19, <coughs> all the disciples have fled. They've left Jesus. They don't want to be around Jesus anymore uh, because of, it, it, it's terrifying. You, you could get put on a cross. But Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus go and beg the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus brings the herbs and the ointment to anoint the body of Jesus. Who wants to be identified uh, with a rebel upstart who's just being crucified and you're a member of the Sanhedrin? You know what's happened in the meantime? I think it's pretty clear. What's happened in the meantime is that Nicodemus did get born again. Nicodemus did uh, get saved. He, 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 he got born again. So he starts off <clears throat> as a character. Something else that we notice about him too is he's, he's educated but spiritually ignorant. Jesus says, don't you know these things? You're a master in Israel and you don't know these things? Do you know that Jesus had a right to expect of those people that he had given the scripture to, that he had given the care of the scripture to, the, the Jewish people, that they would understand who he was and where he was coming from and what was going on? I mean, as we look back, because nobody understood, we kind of think, well, how would they understand? But all their scripture is leading up to Jesus. Everything about their whole lives, their whole system, their whole traditions and everything else that, that he had given them, it's all leading up to Jesus. And he could have expected that these people would know and understand. And he says, Nicodemus, you're a master. You don't understand these things. You, you, you don't get who I am. You, you don't understand that I am the promised Messiah. And you see, Nicodemus <clears throat> talks about the miracles. And you see, the miracles Jesus did, you know, he did many miracles because of compassion. Right? But that wasn't the only reason. Everything Jesus did was purposeful and was tied into his mission as Messiah. All the miracles were proving that he was the Messiah. And Nicodemus does get that. He says, oh, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. There's no one. Now the, the, the Pharisees are eventually going to say, no, he's doing them by the power of the devil. And Jesus is going to laugh him to scorn really on that one. He's going to say, that, that's ridiculous. But Nicodemus recognizes, look, nobody could do these miracles. So, so, so what's the conclusion of that, Nicodemus? Well, you must be the Messiah. And we have to say this about Nicodemus, that, that he's not like many of the other Pharisees. There's at least an openness, at least a desire to know. There's, there's not that, you know, <clears throat> shutters down, I can't go this way because if I go this way it's going to cost me too much and there's no way I can look at this. Sometimes that's what we meet with when we talk to people about salvation, don't we? The shutters go down. Maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe you look at the situation and you think, no, no, I can't go there. If, if, if I went there, it would cost me too much. My, my family would turn against me. If I went there, you know what, people would, would shun me. They would think I was a turncoat or whatever. That's what Nicodemus had to face. And he was willing to face it. Because he saw something in Jesus that he couldn't explain 
apart from God. Jesus made that very evident. He made it very evident that, that he was come from God. And then Jesus goes on to talk to him about the importance of the new birth. See what Jesus says. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee. Now, verily, verily means truly, truly. But Jesus spent 33 years on this earth. He spent three years in public ministry. And he didn't use words for no reason. When he said truly, truly, he meant this is absolute truth. You can write this down. You can bank on this. This is an absolute truth. Now, what is verily, verily here? He says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's no way to see the kingdom of God apart from the new birth. By the way, that's a dogmatic statement. Everybody hates dogmatic statements in our culture now. Uh, everybody wants things to be uh, nice and, and, and uh, nice and relevant and nice and relative. And you know, you're not going to. We're not going to uh, say anything that's going to offend anybody. This is a pretty offensive statement. Do you realize what Jesus is saying? Is Jesus is saying is, it doesn't matter what religion you are, it doesn't matter what kind of a Christian you are. If you're not born again, you're not going to heaven. Now, you don't have to take that from me. Uh, I wouldn't want you to take it from me. But you do have to take it from Jesus. Except a man be born again, he shall not see uh, the kingdom of heaven. There is no way into heaven apart from the new birth. Right? <clears throat> Which means all those religions of the world that denied the deity of Jesus Christ and denied the new, new birth can't go to heaven. All those Christians who deny the new birth and deny the reality of that can't get to heaven. That's, that's pretty strong. And Jesus is not hiding behind anything. He's saying it very clearly. He's saying there is no way. Being born again is the only way for anyone ever to get to heaven. You have to come to that place of being born again. But... <clears throat> Now, what about the, is this new birth? Or what's the nature of it? Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? You know what? That's a valid question. Jesus is talking about him being born again. He doesn't understand. He should understand more than he understands. But he doesn't understand. So he asks a valid question. How can you be born? Do you have to go back into your mother's womb? That's ridiculous. Nobody's going back into their mother's womb, but, but he's, try, he's trying to get his head around what Jesus is saying. Uh, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I'm simple, so I'm going to give you the simple explanation of this uh, statement. There are all kinds of complicated uh, <laughs> explanations of it. I'll give you the simple one, right? Jesus is talking about two different things here. There's a natural birth and there's a spiritual birth. They're separate. They're different. Uh, uh, except a man be born of water. I think that's the water uh, that's all around the birth of a baby. Uh, I have four children. Uh, I was 
absolutely blessed and thrilled to be present at the birth of each one of them. Now, I know on my father's day, uh, <clears throat> a man left his wife at the hospital and said, good luck, that's what my mom says anyway. He left, left his wife at the hospital and then, then he went. Uh, and I know that, that, that there's, that, there's that side of men that wishes it was still like that. But you know what? It's the most exciting thing in the world to see that little one come into the world. It just kind of thrills you uh, to your very core. But it's a messy business. Now, we're not going to go into that. We don't want to talk about the messy business right now. Uh, but let me, let me illustrate it by saying this. On, on the birth of our firstborn, Oriel, the gynecologist showed up at the birth table in Wellington boots. <laughs> now, um, I, I, even at the time, I remember looking at him thinking, that's a bit off. But obviously he didn't want his good shoes ruined, uh, and he showed up in well, he was because there's a lot of water uh, around a birth, right? <clears throat> and Jesus is saying, you know what, uh, except a man be born of water, first of all, he's got to be born physically, and secondly, he's got to be born of the Spirit. There's got to be a new birth. Now, why a new birth? Because all of us are born with three parts to us. We have Spirit, we have Soul, and we have body. And your soul, your body is, listen, it's this part of you where you touch the world, where you feel the world. Your, your, your soul is the, is the you that people know. You know, the nice guy, the nice lady. Your spirit is the part of you that relates to God. The problem is that because of sin, we're born with a dead spirit. We're born with something that doesn't work, that doesn't function. Our connection with God is broken. And you see, God wants human beings to be ruled from spirit to the soul to the body. But until we come to the new birth, the connection with God is broken. It was broken by Adam, and we'd like to blame Adam and Eve on all of it, but the reality is every one of us chose sin too. Every one of us have gone our own way and done our own thing. Every one of us have, have ignored God. Every one of us have decided that we have a better plan than God's plan. We're going to do it our way. And our spirit's dead. It's, there's no connection with God. And, you know, I can remember before I was saved, I would pray. What I would do is I would, uh, on my way to work in the morning, I would say the Our Father. It was just, you know, a rote thing. I, I knew there was a God out there, and, and, and I was kind of afraid of what he could do if I didn't actually recognize him. And so, you know, I prayed. Paganism, that's what that is. That's paganism. That's, that's just you trying to keep some distant deity happy, but you have no connection with them. But like I told you last night, you know, the moment I got saved, something changed. I didn't understand at the time. What happened is, the Spirit of God came in and connected my spirit, and there was now a connection with God for the first time in my life. It was breathtaking. It was life-changing. It's supposed to be. Because <clears throat> before then there was no connection with God, but after that there was a connection with God. And that's what happens in the new birth. The Spirit of God comes in and quickens our spirit, brings life to our spirit, so that we can connect with God, so that we now have a relationship with God. And let me say this. I can't prove this to you from Scripture, not, at least not easily prove it to you from Scripture. But I believe that God created all of this. In fact, God created the universe. He created all of it so that he could connect with you. So that he could have a relationship with you. This great God of the universe so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I think God wants relationship with us with passion. I think he wants that that relationship. I think he's gone to extraordinary lengths. And I think only in eternity will we understand all that it took for God to actually reach down and save us and bring us into relationship. But but don't get it wrong. Don't, Don't misunderstand that when God was saving you, he was not just saving you from hell. And hell is very real. And hell we are definitely saved from in that moment. He was saving you for himself. For relationship with him. So so don't let's think that salvation ends with not going to hell. No. God wants relationship with me. He wants relationship with me now. He wants relationship with me through my life. And he wants eternal relationship with me. That's wonderful salvation uh, that God has given us. But... It all starts with the new birth, with him connecting with us, with him bringing us into that sweet place of connection with him. So it's not a physical thing we're talking about here. It's a spiritual thing that we're talking about. Let, let me give you some verses. Uh, Ephesians, sorry, um, Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. He saved us by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. There is a spiritual dimension, there is a supernatural dimension to salvation that you and I can't explain. It's real. Now, don't, don't, get, don't get it wrong. Don't, don't get confused because somebody will have told you maybe somewhere along the line that, you know, listen, you have no part in salvation. It's all of God and <clears throat> confused you with some of those things. But, but, but think this through with me. If God so desires relationship with you that he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross so that you could be saved and you were to call out to him tonight and say, Lord, I want to be saved. Do you think he would say, nah, I don't think I'm that interested in you. Isn't that a ridiculous thought? This God that has gone to such extraordinary lengths is waiting for people to cry out to him. Let me give you an illustration of this. And again, I can't prove this scripturally, but I've seen it happen, right? Uh, I have known a man called Paul. Paul. Paul was in deep in addiction. Paul came to church one night, but he didn't come to church. He came to the RU one night, and um, the gospel was preached. Paul was out of his mind on drugs. And I remember sitting with Paul and talking to Paul afterwards. He was crying. Right? And Paul cried out to the Lord to save him. Now, the next time I spoke to Paul, he didn't remember anything about the evening. And so you wonder, well, was that real? And Paul still doesn't remember that day. But he did. I I heard him calling out to God and asking God to save him. Now, whether it was then or whether it was later, Paul is definitely saved now. Paul's one of our ushers. Paul loves the Lord. And he has, the, he has the, the light of God on his face. Here's the point I want to make to you, though. Paul, in his terrible state, called out to God. And however it worked, God reached down. And God drew Paul to himself, and God is his now. It's impossible that the great God of heaven that loves mankind so much that he sent his son to die would ignore your cry for salvation. Wherever you are, whatever state you're in right now, it's impossible that he would ignore it. 
When we cry out to God, God hears and God begins a work and God does a work. And you know what? And the, the spirit, uh, the, the wind blows where it listed and the spirit does the same. We, and we, we can't work it all out. But you know what? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When you come to that place where you're believing and you're crying out and you're calling out to him, don't, don't listen to anybody that tells you you can't be saved. That's a lie. Anybody who's willing to call out to this God can be saved. Because he loves man in a deep way. It's a spiritual thing. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you are saved by faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Didn't we all at some point think, somehow we'll be saved by being good? How'd that go for you? Didn't go very well for me. Uh, listen, none of us can be saved by being good. It's a work of God in our hearts. We can't. He always knew we couldn't. He never intended that we could. We can't, and he does that which we can't do. But mark it down, understand this, that, that when he saves you, he saves you unto good works. So before you got saved, listen, you lived your life doing your own thing. And even your good works, the Bible says, were as filthy rags. Even your good works were you doing something that made you feel good. That's why, by the way, why you've got good people out there who are nice neighbors and good to be around and so on. Because they're doing good things because they're good people. But if they're not born again, it doesn't count in heaven. It doesn't count spiritually. See, it's, it's not by works of righteousness. It's, we're not saved by what we do. We're saved by what God did for us, by what Jesus did for us. But understand this, that when you are saved, changes happen. That's why I think that Nicodemus is saved, by the way. Because the change happened. At some point, he got born again. Maybe uh, after this conversation with Jesus, maybe he dwelt on it. Uh, but at some point, he got born again. And we see him willing to pay a price for identifying himself with Jesus. Willing to stand there and be ridiculed. Willing to be kicked out of the club. Because he's come to the place where he's trusting in Jesus. And <clears throat> the necessity of the new birth is something that we need to grapple with. You see, who needs to be born again? Everybody. All of us in this room. The only ones that are going to heaven are the ones that have been born again. All of those people out there, the only ones that are going to heaven are the ones that have been born again. It's not the Baptist church that saves anybody. It's being born again by faith in Jesus Christ. Everybody needs to come to that place in their life where they're born again. It's absolutely essential. Jesus said, except a man shall be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. There's no way. And... <clears throat> There has to be that point in somebody's life where they trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. And it's imperative. It's command. You must be born again. I can imagine poor Nicodemus. You know, he's come trying to have a conversation with this rabbi guy that's just arrived in town who's kind of stirring up everything and he's very interesting. He's, you know, he's doing miracles that nobody else did and, and, he's very, and he's coming to have a nice conversation, you know, man to man with him. And Jesus just blows him away. You must be born again, Nicodemus. I didn't even ask you that. But, 
Nicodemus, you have to be, there's no way you're getting to heaven unless you're born again. And everybody in this world needs to be born again. Now we know from scripture, everybody's not going to get born again. But everybody needs to be born again. You're not going to meet anybody that doesn't need it. It doesn't matter how good they look. It doesn't matter, you know, aren't, aren't there those people in your life and you look at them and you think, you know what, doesn't they're such a good person? Maybe at some stage, no, unless you're born again. There's no way into heaven. It's absolutely impossible. But look at verses 14 through 18. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You know, I love the fact that we have 2020 vision because we're looking back. Now, Nicodemus would have heard this, but wouldn't fully have understood it yet. We understand it, don't we? Remember the story of Moses in the wilderness when the people sinned and God uh, plagued them? And he said to Moses, okay, Moses, I want you to make a serpent, put it on the top, brass serpent, put it on the top, top of a pole. And everybody who looks to it was healed. It was kind of crazy. You know, he held up this, this stick with the, with the brass serpent on it and all you had to do was look. And you got healed. Who wouldn't want to look? You know, who, who, would, who would not look in, in, the, in those uh, conditions? I'm sure there were some people that didn't, but you know what? Anybody who looked got healed. And that's a picture of what was going to happen with Jesus. Jesus was going to be lifted up. And it's look and live, isn't it? It's look to the Savior and live. You didn't do anything to deserve salvation. Nobody has to do anything to deserve salvation. You just look to the Savior. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Do you see the heart of God in verse 16 and 17? God didn't want to condemn anybody. He didn't want to condemn Nicodemus. He didn't want to condemn the Pharisees. As, as you watch him throughout the Gospels, he's constantly battling with them. He's constantly vying with them. He's constantly you know, dealing with their issues, sometimes very strongly. But all the time he's given them opportunity to turn and trust him. All the time he's given them opportunity to recognize that he is indeed the Messiah. Because his mission was not to condemn man, but to save man. His mission was not to do man wrong, but to do man good. Do you know that we serve a good God who loves man and wants to help man? If you're not saved tonight, God loves you. And he wants to save you. And it's a very individual thing. Before I was saved, I thought, the world was the world and God loved the world and he loved everybody in it but he didn't know me. And then I got saved and I realized, hold on just a minute. He knows my name. He knows my sin. And he saved me anyway. And if you're here or you're watching tonight and you're listening and you think he doesn't know you, he knows you. 
and he loves you. See, Nicodemus came with his question, and Jesus knew Nicodemus before he came. And Jesus knew his questions. And Jesus knew the deep questions of his heart, and he answered them for him. Listen, you come to Jesus, and what you'll find is you'll find somebody who knows you, who knows your name, who knows your sin, because when Jesus hung on the cross, he paid for all of our sin. And again, it wasn't just, you know, a big blob, so to speak. He knew exactly what he was paying for. By the way, it's a whole other message, but what a terrible thing for someone so pure to have to take on himself all the wickedness of mankind. What a terrible thing that was. But he did. He did it with joy. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He did it with joy. He did it because of love. And it's there for you. Salvation is there. It's available to you. Look at verse 18 though. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. What do you have to do to be condemned? Nothing. You're condemned already. Why? Because all of us are born sinners. All of us are born sinners. And, 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 and if you don't recognize that, can, can, I, can I respectfully say to you that you're deluded? Because every one of us has gone our own way. Every one of us has effectively said to God, listen, you live in your heaven and do whatever you want to do, and I'm going to live my life and do whatever I want to do. That's, that's what sin is. It manifests itself sometimes terribly uh, in ways that affect others. And sometimes it doesn't affect others so much at all. But sin is when you decide you're going to do your thing, not God's thing. And every last one of us has done that. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See how it keeps coming back to this thing of believing, of trusting, of depending God wants you to depend upon him for this salvation. You can't do it. But look at verse 19. And this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither neither cometh to the light. Lest his deeds should be reproved. And you know, why do men hold on to their sin? Why, why, Why do men and women not come to the place of trusting Jesus Christ and being born again? Because they like having it their way. They like doing their own thing. That's why. And, and they don't want to come to the light because the light shows up the darkness. The light shows up the sin. The light makes us humble because it shows us we're not as good as we thought we were at all. And you know what? We're a proud race the human race. We want to think good of ourselves. We want to think that we're, <clears throat> we're much better than we are. Let me give a quick illustration of a man called John. John uh, <clears throat> was deep in addiction and he was somebody that had done everything you can do wrong at least twice. Right? <clears throat> there was, to my mind, nothing John wouldn't do. But I'm taking John home one day. Um, he's, he's trying to get his mother to take him into the house again. And John tells me on the way home, he says this to me, he says, now, he says, I would never beat up an old granny, because she could be somebody's mother. 
Right? I'm looking at John and I'm thinking, what's he telling me here? You know what he's telling me? He's telling me he had standards. That he was a good guy. Anybody else, other than old grannies, were fair game for him to beat up and rob. But this grannies were just something he wouldn't do. Because <clears throat> John had standards. Do you know what he was telling me? He said, I'm a good guy. And you know what people think? What we all like to think about ourselves, that we're good guys. And it's not till we can humble ourselves and say, no, I'm not so good at all. I don't have it all together. I've gone my own way. I've done my own thing. It's not till we can come to that place till we repent of our sin. And not just the sin that other people see. The sin of the heart, the rebellion of your heart, the, the, the heart that wants to do its own thing and go its own way. It's not till we come to that place that we can be born again. Nicodemus had to repent of the fact that he was part of a self-righteous bunch that were just doing their own thing, because that's exactly what they were. And I really believe that he did. But until then he couldn't be saved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. You know what? It's wonderful when you finally lay down your arms, when you finally surrender, when you finally say, I can't do this. God, will you do it for me? I'm not good. I'm I'm not trying to be good. I can't do it in myself. And you finally lay down your arms and trust God. That's a wonderful, wonderful day. Life gets better then. Because God steps in. But you know, the person that never comes to that point, and there are people that don't, the vast majority of these Pharisees never did. The vast majority of these Pharisees stood on the fact that they were righteous, they were holy, they were good, and Jesus was wrong. And today, they're in hell, separated from God forever. One day, they'll stand before the same Jesus and be judged. It's a terrible thought. It's the most dreadful thought of all. But God sent his son because there was no other way. And he said, I will save all who come to me. I will take them in. I will embrace them. I will save all who will come to me. And he does just that. Let's go back to our story, though. The story of Kevin, the train driver. Over the horn blowing and the brakes screeching and sparks flying, Kevin watched as he got closer to the man that was looking straight at him. He didn't move. Every fiber in Kevin's being was willing him to move to get off the track, but he didn't budge. And the last thing Kevin saw was the man's eyes as a 150 ton of a train engine hit him. It took a mile for the train to stop. A train traveling 55 miles an hour would take a mile and a quarter to stop. And finally, it stopped and Kevin jumped out of the carriage and he ran all the way back as best he could, hoping, hoping that somehow, maybe somehow, the man was still alive. And when he got there, he saw a sight that he'll never be able to purge from his memory. He saw the mangled body of the man, that tortured soul that had stood looking at the train. Well, he was shaken to his core. And the guardie came and uh, they made, he made a statement to the guardie and the guardie said to him, <clears throat> it's not your fault. There was nothing you could do. Irish Rail had an inquiry and uh, they, they went through all the details and they said to him, it's not your fault. 
There was nothing more you could have done. Uh, There was an inquest. And the inquest came to the conclusion it wasn't Kevin's fault. There was nothing more he could do. The parents of that poor tortured soul came to Kevin and said, it's not your fault. He was going to do it anyway. There was nothing you could do. There was no way you could do, you could have stopped it. See, there was only one way that man's life could have been saved. Only one. He had to get off the track. That was the only possible way for his life to be saved. Now, why do I tell you this awful story? Because the reality is, if you're not saved tonight, you must be born again. It's as though there's a train coming around the bend. You don't know when. You have no idea what to expect. It's coming, though. It's coming around the bend. And if you don't get off the track, you're going to end up like that poor soul. You must be born again. There's no other way. There's no other possibility. Jesus said it. Except a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. If you're not born again, tonight, even now, where you sit, where you're listening, where you're watching, would you call out to him, Lord, I am a sinner. I need salvation and I can't do it. But Lord Jesus, I believe that what you were doing on the cross is paying for my sin. And right now, as best I know how, I'm, I'm trusting what you did to save me. I've never known him to refuse anyone. I've never known him to say no to anyone. I've known people do it in wonderfully ways to hear, and I've, I've known people do it in messy ways, but you know what? I've never known him to say no. If you'll cry out to him, he will hear and he will answer. And one day, you will find yourself standing face to face with this Jesus as a friend, not as a judge. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this evening and this people and those that are watching online. And Lord, we do ask now, would you do your office work? Would you bring conviction to those that need to be brought under conviction? And Lord, may hearts turn to you. May there be repentance and a turning to you. May there be uh, you stepping into people's lives and spirits being quickened and brought to life. And may there be new relationships with you, we pray tonight, Lord. May there be a new birth in many hearts in Jesus' name.